Hi, I'm Heather Knight, and this is the Surviving to Thriving podcast. One in four women will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. We're going to discuss the taboo topic of domestic violence and the tools our thrivers have used to succeed in life. We want you to know that you are not alone in this fight. Please keep listening if you or anyone you know has been impacted by domestic violence. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, Night Protection Services for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Surviving to Thriving. Today I have with me Melissa Pierce. Melissa was widowed overnight at the age of 44 when her husband Dave didn't wake up on a cold Saturday morning in 2011. As a solo parent to their two sons, Melissa knew she had to take care of herself first so she could take care of her kids. They needed her support more than ever, so she began the work of processing her deep grief and practicing radical self-care to move forward. Melissa has rebuilt her life and established, for the very first time, a deeper knowledge of herself. She is a testament to trusting her gut and standing behind her choices. She is happily remarried to her husband, Sean, and they now call the Oregon Coast home. Melissa's purpose is living a joyful life, inspiring and influencing others in a positive way. And you can learn more from her and we'll learn how you can do that at the end of this episode. She also believes that we are all resilient. Melissa, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Heather. Of I really course. Appreciate it. Of course. I'm yeah. glad. Um, I'm excited to have this conversation. Is there that was a, a great extensive bio? Is there anything else that you want the uh, audience to know about you? No, let's let's just dive in. All right, sounds good. So I'd like to take my guests back to you know some people's best or worst times of their life. So let's go back to high school. <laughs> and what was life like for Melissa growing up? You know, what was home life like? What was school life like? Just kind of that whole time period of your of your yeah. life. So I'm a, a child of the '80s. I might be a little older than some of your some of your listeners, but um, I really liked I liked the '80s and the big hair and all that fun stuff, and the music. Uh, I grew up in a suburb on the, near Portland, Oregon, and I have two older brothers. My parents. I grew up Catholic. The church was a big part of our family life, but I went to a public school, all public schools the whole time, and. I was a theater and music choir. I wouldn't, I'm not going to say nerd. I just loved being in theater and music. That was just a really great way for me to express myself. And I had a lot of fun doing that. Yeah, that was me as well. Yeah. <laughs> I was, uh, you know, all, the church that I went to had a huge theater side of it. And I was captain of my dance team and was in choir and all of that fun stuff. So I definitely yeah. get that part of it. Um, yeah, I loved it. Yes. Yeah. So how did that kind of help you through high school? Was there anything, any big changes that came through high school that are kind of like you can point to and say like, this is, you know, something not even traumatic, but just something big that happened that affects myself now. So my dad went through a pretty big health scare when I was 14. He had cancer. And that that was a really big deal for our family. And it was a big deal for me. And so I think by, you know, using theater and music and kind of a creative way to express myself. And also I had a really great tribe of, of friends there. I think that was just so helpful for me to move th through that experience. 
yeah, just like having support, you know, and reaching out and, and asking your friends for, you know, a shoulder to cry on or just somebody to talk to about what I was going through. And so I was really thankful and grateful that I had 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 my people around me. Yeah, that is such an important aspect of really being able to go through grief is being able to talk to somebody that you trust about it and be able to be vulnerable and, you know, just kind of express your emotions, whichever, whichever way you need to without right. feeling that judgment. So that's right. amazing and that you were yeah. able to have that in high school because not a lot of people have that in the, that time of their yeah. life. <laughs> I was part of this really kind of intense theater group and we would, it was, I don't know, this, there's a movie called Fame. And they would, one of the exercises they did was to talk about a painful experience, just kind of to get you to tap into your emotions so you could portray that on stage if you needed to. And we did this exercise. I think we were kind of too young to maybe be doing this, but we did this exercise and it felt like a really safe spot to do it and just really kind of let all the emotions come out. Cause I was not, I'm really not a person who likes to let my emotions come out. I usually like to be seen as somebody who's got it all together and, you know, nothing phases me. And so it was really an interesting experience to be that vulnerable at that young of an age and kind of be held in a, in a safe space. Yeah. Good movie. Yeah. If you've never oh, watched yeah, it, it is. watch that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I, I concur. Whoever's listening, go and go and watch that after you finish listening to this yeah. episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that happened was is your dad still with us or was that? Um, no, he pulled through that, that cancer surgery and that scare. Um, he did die um, 20 years. I think it was 20 years later. It was 30 years later. I guess bad math here. Um, and of a brain tumor. So he was able to kind of move into his older retire and, and live out some of his life. And, and I was there when he died. I got to, you know, bittersweet moment, see him take his last breath and experienced that and I got and I got to take care of him you know he was in hospice and so we all the family took turns and so that was just a kind of this beautiful experience of of being there for and comforting him at the, at, at the end wow that is like like you said very bittersweet being able to to be there for that uh so so this this health scare happens it's very like I, I mean I can tell that you had you know had a good relationship with your dad so I'm sure that was just scary to watch him go through but you had all of these different things to help you through and you had all these different coping mechanisms so what I mean transferring from that core group of people that you had this really strong relationships moving into kind of those college years, did you go to college? Did you, you know, work for a year? What was that transition like? And did you get to keep that, that core, what is the word? Kind I'm of thinking? tribe. Tribe. Group yeah. And, and yeah, yeah and, and keep that support system around or Did you have to find a new support system or what was that like? Yeah, that was, um, you know, I look back and I did go to college for a year. Uh, I went away. It was like six hours from home, six hour drive from home. And that just, I was thinking about that today, actually. It's funny that you asked this. That really threw me. I didn't have my people around me. I was six hours away from home. And um, at that point, I just decided to, not decided, but I just partied a lot. Because I, you know, I think that was a way for me to kind of soothe myself and feel more comfortable in this situation that I was thrown in. 
at college, you know, just being away from home, having to support myself and make decisions like, oh, should I wake up and go to class <laughs> or whatever? And I really don't think I was ready at all because I really needed, I think I was somebody who really needed more support then. So yeah, I lasted a year and then ended up coming back home and working and kind of moving into a, a different career and not going to, not finishing college. Yeah. Which we know nowadays doesn't mean anything, <laughs> right. you know, right. I mean, yeah. a college degree yeah. or not, but I'm sure at, uh, you know, in that time period of your life and, and just the way that society was that, that was probably really a uh, hard decision to make and hard thing to like come to terms with leaving college. How, how were you able to deal with that? And, you know, how is your, how are your parents dealing with that? Well, I ended up like flunking out, you know, basically, because I just was not focusing on school. And so there's a lot of shame around that for me, you know, because my dad got his MBA and, you know, they spent a lot of money to, to put me through that first year. So there was a lot of Shame. They didn't shame me, but it was like really doing that on on onto myself. So yeah, that was that was a hard decision to make. But I'm glad because I did that was just not somewhere that I thrived. It was not an environment I thrived in. I have really good friends still to this day from that time. I think we were kind of all in the same boat together. But yeah, it was a hard decision. But I'm glad I did it. You know, like I didn't go to I didn't finish school, and I ended up creating this really really good career for myself as in the legal field and just do just learning on on the job and moving myself up and up and up and so yeah I don't think college is necessary yeah no I that's why I ask like when I transitioned from high school to college I asked like did you even go to college because some people don't and a lot of people nowadays are not going to college they're like going straight into the workforce so um, I don't like to assume that people went to college (laughs) but how like we're obviously going to get into the the main part of your story, which is your husband passing. But at 18, 19 years old, you, you know, you clearly didn't have the skills that you had or that you've built since then. So what was it like going through that? And, you know, are there anything, is there anything that you can pinpoint that looking back, you're like, okay, that was a coping mechanism that I used. I didn't realize what it was at the time, but that was something that helped me get through that grief, you know, cause it is grief, guilt, shame, all of that, leaving that situation. So is there anything that you can maybe pick out from that? Well, you know, of course, I use some unhealthy coping mechanisms like, you know, alcohol and, and weed, you know, smoking pot and stuff. And I just, you know, in in our family, it was, you know, you're, you're expected to kind of to work, you know, to or to do something. And so I knew I had to like do something. I didn't know what it was. So I did kind of, hop from job to job. Like I, I was, um, worked in the landscaping business and I planted flowers all over businesses in Portland. And that was really fun. And I just kind of like did different things. And I would think like, Hmm, I don't like this. I don't think I want to do this for the rest of my life. Let's, let's try something else. So I was really open to trying new things and seeing like, Oh, I like this piece of this particular job. I wonder what other career might have this particular, you know, aspect. So, yeah, I did a lot of stuff, worked at a pizza place and, you know, offices. I ended up working in an office job, but I, the, the legal field for some, for some reason was really fascinating to me. And so I ended up taking a, like a year long certification course and I ended up becoming a legal secretary and then a paralegal 
and then getting on with a really good company. I'd been with them for 20 years and just kind of moving myself up and up and up. So yeah, I was just, I was just trying new things, just being open to, I'm going to see what, what I like, what fits, what doesn't and move on, give myself permission to just move on if I don't like it, not feel any shame around it. Yeah. Which is so important. And I wish that either we bring back things like home ec in high school or don't shame 18 year olds that maybe go through four or five jobs in that first year out, out of high school looking for something that they enjoy to do. It's, you know, I've talked about this in previous episodes, but putting this, this stress on these 18, 19, 20 year olds to decide what they want to do for the next 60 years is insane. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, and, and it's yeah. the stress that it puts on them. And then the shame that you feel when you don't like what you chose, like, even myself, I battled for a year deciding what I wanted to do, like what I wanted to even get my degree in. And then I, yeah, I settled on criminal justice and I went and I went on to be a cop for four years. And, you know, I've always had a servant heart and I loved aspects of my job, but there was so much guilt in leaving the police force because it was like, I'm a failure. Like I went to school for this. I, this is what I decided I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And four years in, I'm calling it quits. And there was a lot of shame and guilt with that. And I think it's just insane. The pressure that we, because it was pressure from myself, but it's the way that society has said that this is what's wrong. Right. Nobody immediately, you know, like nobody actually said like, Oh, you're, you're bad for leaving or you're bad for not doing this. But the way that society runs we put that guilt on ourselves. It is so true. My youngest, he's 20 and he's going through this right now. He did a, a year at community college and he's like, school is not for me. And I knew school was not for him in high school either. <laughs> you know, he's a smart, brilliant kid, but just like the way that, that we teach in this country just didn't fit the way he learned. So um, he's, I don't think he's struggling as much, but there's a lot of pressure, you know, there's a lot of pressure. It's like, hey, you're you're 18. Figure it out. It's like, no. I I told him it's like, just do explore, do whatever. Like, if there's something that you think you like, like photography or whatever, just do go go that direction. You kind of have this sweet spot right now where where you've got some support from me and and my husband Sean that he can kind of do this. He can explore and and support himself too. So. I think the trades are really important. I think we should push that. Look at me getting all like political and stuff, but but I think we should really like push the trades, like teach these kids skills that, that, um, so they can like go out and thrive and, and like building and, you know, hairstyling and all that stuff. Teach that stuff in high school. You know, there are, there is one school in Portland that does that, but it's just one, you know, one serving all these kids. That's not enough. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and that the whole notion that's like, oh, you're 20 years old and you're not in college and you still live with your parents. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. <laughs> Why yeah. is that wrong? Like I can be right. on their insurance till I'm 26 and it's right. not wrong for me to mooch up, mooch off their insurance, but it's wrong for me to be at home or, you know, living with my parents at 20 while I'm yeah. trying to figure out what I want to do with my life yeah. when, you know, so yeah, it's just this insane cycle that so I think much needs pressure. to be yeah. broken for mm-hmm. sure. So you go on and you do all of these things and you realize that the legal system is where you want to be. And so what was career life like for you? Um, Is that where you met 
Dave or did you guys meet somewhere else? And how did that kind of stuff happen? Well, I, let me see. So the legal stuff, I, I was like a legal secretary for a while. And then I, as I was working full time, I went to school at night to, to get my paralegal certificate. And then at that point, I'm like, jump ship from the job that I was at because I wanted more. And then I found a, a, a company. It's a Fortune 500 company. It wasn't at the time. And it was really small at the time. And I really dug that. So I loved the people that I worked with, but it just kept getting bigger and bigger through mergers and acquisitions and stuff. And at that point, it just wasn't my jam anymore. But it took a while for me to get there. But with meeting Dave, no, I didn't meet him through work. I actually met him through his sister because we were going to paralegal school together at night. She worked full time as well. And I was living with my parents. Kind of, I would like kind of boomerang on and off. Like, you know, I'd have a bad roommate situation and I'd, you know, hang out at mom and dad's for a while. And so at that time I was like, I need to, I, I need a roommate. I want to like, you know, be out on my own again. I need to get an apartment. And so I was just mentioning this to Dave's sister. I hadn't met Dave yet. My friend Nina, and she's like, oh, my brother's looking for um, a roommate. I'm like, okay, well, you know, like I, we met for a drink. I'm like, yeah, I could live with this guy. He's cool. I was dating this other guy. And, and he's kind of been vetted by his sister. Like she's my friend. She's not going to set me up with a serial killer or anything. So, so yeah, we ended up becoming roommates and, you know, I got to really kind of see who this guy was. We became really good friends and I got to see who he was. Like he put the toilet seat down. He did the dishes, you know, he was, he had this really good relationship with his mom, you know, like all these, all these things were going off. Like, this is a really good guy, but, but we were such good friends for a couple of years. And, you know, I think you know, looking back on it, we were both attracted to each other, but we didn't want to mess it up by, you know, going the, to the next level, but we ended up going the next level. And, you know, then we ended up, you know, moving into, you know, relationship and, and, you know, marriage, you know, it's living together and then marriage. And it was just really kind of nice to be able to get to know him from that that perspective of like, I really know, I've, I've vetted this guy. Like, I know who he is. He mm -hmm. treats me really kindly and he treats people really kindly. He was a teacher and he's just a good guy, you know? Yeah. So that's yeah. amazing. And that's what, you know, obviously, you know, like the show is about domestic violence, but I bring on guests that have experienced all types of trauma because I think at the core of it, we all deal with it the same way, the mm -hmm. same coping me mechanisms help through every type of trauma. So, mm -hmm. but that's one of the things that we tell our women to look out for is not, not how he treats you, but how does he treat other people? Mm -hmm. Right. Because if he's willing to treat other people badly at some point, he's going to treat you badly. Mm -hmm. And so that's just it. As soon as you said that, that, you know, that's one of the things that we talk about. So yeah, I just had to point that out that yeah. really looking for somebody that treats other people well is so important and it's really cool that, you know, you guys were able to have this, like you were able to see what your life was going to be like before that was even a thought process of our life would be like this. Because a lot of times people are jumping into these relationships and they're moving in together super quickly or not moving into with each other until after they're married, which, you know, for religious purposes, I understand that. But at the same time, you got to know how somebody is going to live before you live with them. Cause they may drive you insane. <laughs> right. So <laughs> true. 
So true. And you know what? I've had, Heather, I've, prior to that, I had some pretty wonky, clunky relationships. And so at that point, I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to date anymore, you know? And so it was just a really nice reprieve because, you know, as I think as women, I mean, we've all kind of had you know, you're like, hey, you're cute. You're at a bar or whatever. You're cute. Let's let's do this thing. And you don't really know anything about this person. And so I, I had been through a couple of those prior. And it was just like, yeah, I don't want to, I think I'm going to take a break. And so I did. I took like a two-year break. That's always but when you find, me. right. Yeah. <laughs> but that's yeah. always when you find your person, I feel like, is when you're just, you're just mm-hmm. done. You're like, let, if you believe in God, let God take it. Let the universe take it. Whatever, you know, just. I'm I'm done trying. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's yeah. when you find your person. So. Oh yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, let's move into kind of the elephant in the room. What happened on that Saturday morning with Dave? Yeah. So, I'm just going to back up just a tiny bit. So, 5 years prior, we had problems conceiving. Um and so 5 years prior, we uh, adopted our two sons from the Oregon foster care system. So they were five and seven at the time um, that we adopted them. And, you know, there's a lot of challenges there. Those two boys had been through a hell of a lot of trauma before we got them. And five years, skip five years forward, we were kind of in this really sweet spot with the four of us, um, our little family. And things were really kind of smooth and just going along like any little family, you know, would, would be. And so... Yeah, it was just so out of the blue. Like I woke up one this morning and, and on Saturday morning, just a typical Saturday morning, we had a basketball day, game. Dave was coaching our youngest son, his basketball game later that morning. And he, I just looked at his ankle and his ankle was just like this weird color. It was like sticking out of the bed. And, and then I just saw him and just, I'll never forget the look uh, on his face. And I, he was dead. I mean, I just kind of knew it. And so I immediately just like jumped on top of him and started, started to do CPR. I was screaming and yelling and, you know, for him to wake up. And, and at the time my, my youngest was in the living room and he's like, he's yelling at me like, mom, what's going on? What's going on? I'm like, don't come in here. Don't come in here. And later when I asked him what, what was, what he, what he thought or what was, he thought like there was a cougar in our bedroom for whatever reason. We lived, we lived out in the country at the time, but yeah, it was just so out of the blue. It was, he like prior to that, I think three weeks prior, he had gone for a physical and everything was cool, you know, perfect blood pressure, cholesterol, all the things. And it was just, boom, he's, he's gone. And my oldest son was at a, was 200 miles away at a, in a field trip. And so I had to call him. I mean, just, just all, I'm just reliving all the, the trauma of all the, all the things I had to do. And I have like really sharp memories of, of that day. And then I have some, I just don't have any memories of at all yeah. that time. But yeah, it was really unexpected and out of the blue and really traumatic. Wow. That's like, wow. I want to use the word incredible, but not in a good way. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, that it's just, it's unfathomable that, you know, and especially going to the doctor three weeks prior and, and doing all the things that you're supposed to do, just kind of like re reiterates that life is precious and life is short and that mm-hmm. you, you, you can't take anything for granted. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. like all those things. And, and some, some, sometimes those things sound so like, like it's a platitude cliche. or some kind of yeah. that cliche, but it's like, it really is. I mean, I kind of live my life that way now. It's yeah. like, let's, let's do the thing now. Let's like, whatever we want to do, let's do it now because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Like he had, we had so many plans together, you know, so many yeah. dreams together, so many, you know, my, my kids, our kids were 10 and 13 at the time. You know, they they had already lost their their birth father to a heroin overdose. So it it you know then they like I would just both Dave and I would always think like these kids are golden now. Nothing bad is ever going to happen to them again because we're all together. And so we kind of had this thought like yeah we're everything's cool now. Everything's golden. These these, these kids are going to be great. And then when that didn't happen, you know, yeah. they're they're re-traumatized again. They lost another they lost another father. Yeah. You know, they lost a, a pivotal, you know, person, their person in their life. It was hell. It was, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, to swear. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I've dropped I've the F-bomb. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I've dropped the F-bomb. I, there's a disclaimer yeah. and trigger warning on my description. Yeah. So <laughs> we're good. Yeah. If you're yeah. under the age of 18, you shouldn't be listening to this show anyways. Yeah, and if you do, right. then that's that's on you. <laughs> I've already warned you. (laughs) But wow. And, you know, I've, I've lost grandparents, but I've never lost anybody like that has, I mean, obviously my grandparents have played huge pivotal roles in my relationship or in my life, but they died at 90 years old. So you can kind of like, you you can explain that away, right? You can be like, they had a great Mm -hmm. life. They were old and it sucks for like a couple of weeks, but then you have like good memories and, and it's easier. I've, not easier but it is easier in a sense to kind of justify that death if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah because well it's just so out of order you know yeah. that his, he was 46 i was yeah. 44 like it's, it was just so like of course you're like yes we're gonna in the in our 80s and 90s this is gonna happen but that's so yeah. far away we're still raising our kids you know we're yeah. still we're still anticipating you know grandkids maybe at some point you know and so yeah it was just really out of order and so like sudden and unexpected. If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at 2thrivingatl, T-O thriving ATL, or online at 2thriving.org.